The following is a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. It is my joy to be here. Yes, as Joel mentioned, my parents, they are being baptized today. Yes. You know, and so it's, it's very exciting. That's why I have to send my wife and my children there. They're representing me out there. They are. You know, there is much joy in heaven when we respond to his gospel and in obedience do things like, you know, being baptized. We don't believe that saves us, but it is a declaration of what God has done and so I'm very excited that my parents are doing that I told them that I wish I was there but then it is always a joy for me to be with my family at Grace Family Church and so yes so let me read the scriptures and then we're gonna pray we're gonna be looking at Genesis 1 26 to 28 and it reads then God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven. And over every living thing that moves on the earth. Lord, may the entrance of your word bring light and understanding to us this morning. Amen. So, there's a radio station in Australia. They, have a, they had, actually, a call-in game show that was very popular nationally. It's something they called the Battle of the Sexes. You know, as you can probably guess by that title, the concept of the game was simple enough. What you had, you'd have males and female contestants. They would phone in and they would challenge each other to some trivia questions. Eventually, this was so popular that in Australia, different people adopt that and they'll have their daily show. And at the end of the day, they'll have their board and they have male, female, and they tally up who would win, keeping score, whether it be male or female. In my search, I, I found some trivia questions kind of floating around that would basically have that concept of the game in mind. And so I'm going to ask just a, a few of them. For men, here's a question for you. What can you spray on your hair naturally to lighten it? Is it A, lemon juice, B, bear, or C, baking soda? Somebody said bear? Well, I said men. Thank you. Canis. This is a question for the men. Canis. 
did answer correct. It is lemon juice, but she would know that, right? For the men, not canis, what hairstyle is short with hair around the jaw level? Is it A, a pixie, B, bob, or C, page? A hair pixie hair? You say bob? Okay. All right. You're right. It is a bob. All right. For the woman alone. All right. Sarah, you can't answer this one. All right. Which character is not in an Avengers movie? A. Hulk. B. Aquawoman. C. Thor. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right, the ladies showing that they know their Avenger movies. All right, this, this is the last one for, for the ladies. What color is the positive terminal on most car batteries? A, black. B, red. C, green. All right. The ladies were all correct with saying red. All right. Sarah's saying you had to change. You had to charge your battery recently many times all right well <laughs> well you know that car anyway but you see the principle of those games by the way at the end of the day they were trying to structure it to show whatever imbalance or perceived imbalance there is between male and females as they would compete and so whether it be the sort of trivia questions like above or certain puzzle games at times, though, it becomes glaringly obvious at which point which gender would tend to come out on top. Today, it seems the ladies just knew all those answers anyway, right? No doubt. But, you know, listen, in the perceived battle of the sexes, you know, society tends to oscillate between two extremes. You know, they either pit men and women against each other, by lumping them into certain stereotypes or presenting their differences as these difficulties. And men always do this. Typical female. Women are from Venus. Men are from? All right. We don't get each other. We don't speak the same language. Or on the other side, what is even prevalent nowadays, we can minimize some of the differences, almost removing all distinction. And so you'd hear some people say, there's really no difference between men or women. So gender is just simply a social concept. It, it describes the way a person self-identifies or expresses themselves. These are the differences that people can land on. But, you know, the truth is, you know, this battle of the sexes, any sort of problem that you see is really something that's been there for a very long time. You know, we have an identity crisis that really goes all the way back to our origins and from the very beginning of human history. You know, people like to say in a battle, once you understand that we are not so much different, then and only then there will be peace. Now, when it comes to the battle of the sexes, certainly being aware of the fact that in many ways we are very much similar is going to be key. Yet, 
It's only getting us halfway there. We also need to understand how the differences are actually very crucial. And they're not simply a product of how things have gone wrong in this world. You see, the differences are also there by God's design. And so as we continue the sermon series that we've been doing called What We Believe, we are going to address another important value that we at Grace Family Church hold to. And so that is called We Are Complementarian. We are complementarian. That is what we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at it in three ways. We're going to look at the what. We're going to look at the why. And the how. So what it is. Why it matters. And how we express it. And so let's start with the first one. What it is. Let me start by saying when we're talking about complementarian we're not we're talking about complementarian with an e not complementary with an i the word complementarian is actually derived from the word complement which the dictionary defines that this is something that completes or makes perfect either of two parts or things needed to complete the whole counterparts and you see, while that is not a biblical word per se, the word does a very good job at summarizing this idea that we actually see in the Bible. And so, as you would probably see on our website, we communicate this shared value in this way. I want to read it. It says, We believe it was God's glorious plan to create men and women in his image, giving them equal dignity and value in his sight while appointing differing and complementary roles for them within the home and the church because these roles give different expressions to god's image in humanity they should be valued and pursued in joy and faith as a redeemed community of god the church has a unique opportunity and responsibility to celebrate this complementarity to contend for it against cultural hostility and to protect it from sinful distortions. That is what we have on our website. And again, we believe that summarizes this idea that the scripture has. And so, as I mentioned at the outset, this, this thing that we're looking at has its origins and we really need to look at the very beginning. And so the passage we read this morning from Genesis 1 26 to 28 is going to be very important. And so I want you to look with me. Look at verse 26 in Genesis 1. This is what it says. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them, the them being Adam and Eve, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, at our core, what this truth tells us is that we are image bearers. Distinct from every other creation that God has made. At the very beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, 
the first human beings, he did so, first of all, in a way to represent him and reflect him. And this is where all of mankind's identity lies. Again, it's not in what society dictates for us, but rather it's rooted in the very nature and personhood of God. And this is why we can very boldly say that both men and women are equal in personhood and value. We can say that. And again, that's very amazing. Just, just imagine that. The wonder and the majesty of the triune God looking at all the creation and then choosing to distinctively point out, okay, male and female, I want you to reflect my glory. I want you to represent me on earth. Listen, that's a very lofty and worthy task. I don't know about you. I don't think any of us here can say that we have a job or mission that is bigger than that. I don't care what your title is. You can't top that. And so this is the mission. This is a call that God has given to both men and women. And so we should never be fooled. Despite what people like to say about the Bible, the Bible supports the idea that we are equal. It is against any idea that there's any sex that is of lesser value than any other. God's position is very clear on this. Men and women are equal. And so that's why you'd hear even Paul talking about this in the New Testament in Galatians. He's going to eventually remind us that regardless of your gender, regardless of your age, regardless of who you are, we are equal in a certain way and we have an equal need for the Savior. The requirements to join his family, they are the same. And so male and female, just as we're looking at this topic before Christ, once you are saved, we are one in him. And so there's also equality with our spiritual status. Yet, even in the verse we read, you're going to pick up that there's also a distinction that's there. There's distinction. No doubt, there's a distinction and difference in our anatomy. You know, and for the sake of time, I won't belabor that point. And we all went to school and they taught us in science about some of the very obvious differences. And from the very beginning of time, this has been known. And so, obviously, I will say one of the differences in our autonomy makes it possible for Adam and Eve and for the rest of us as creations to actually fulfill one of the missions we are given. To be fruitful and multiply. That's how we can accomplish that. That is how we get to accomplish the mission. So that distinction is there. But I want you to notice something. We didn't look at it. But in Genesis chapter 1, everything that God made, when he made it, what did he say? He made it and he said it was, it was good. It was very good. Eh? But when we get to chapter 2, which actually is a retelling of the creation of man and woman, we notice something very different. We see that God makes Adam first. He gives him instructions. He gives him responsibility. But something is not good. You know, God sees it first and then Adam sees it. In Genesis 2 verse 18, this is what the Lord says. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So you see, when Adam 
saw that there was no suitable partner, God would fix the not good. He would fix the not good by making woman for man, who Adam would call Eve. So you see, what was not good, first of all, I don't know if you picked this up, but what was not good had nothing to do with sin. We're not in Genesis chapter 3 yet. So what is not good has to do with God's creation. Right now at that moment, it was incomplete. So this is not a sinful not good. This is an incomplete not good. Right? And so the fall, sin can't be blamed, first of all, for the distinctions that we have between male and female. Right? This is... (laughs) This very distinction is something that God actually calls good. People, listen, our differences in the beginning are actually meant for good. And honestly, any part of the differences that we experience right now that pose a problem is not because of something God did. It's because of sin. And so... Though God could have made us in a way, by the way, that we were just one sex. He could have made us in a way where we could reproduce ourselves. He wanted to make equal, but different people. And so I just want to remind us, again, together, male and female, we are called in a very unified mission and a unified purpose. We are to have dominion over everything that God has made. But realize this. One of the ways we accomplish that is in the midst of this distinct role. Men being men and women being women. Together, we can accomplish that mission. And as it relates to the distinct roles, again, we get a glimpse of what the Lord had in mind, where in making Eve, it says Eve was created from man and for man as a helpmate. As Jamaicans, we don't like that phrase. When we think helper, we think a particular job that you probably say, boy, I don't want to be that. But listen, that title, you know who else has the title of helper? Holy Spirit. If it's good enough for the Holy Spirit. Yeah? And again, this is not a culture thing. This is a creation thing. This is a creation thing. And so, even right as you hear me speaking, I've been alluding to it a bit, but I want to move more blatantly into the why. Why it matters. Why does this whole complementarian description matter? Well, first... One of the reasons it matters is the equal image bearers who are actually distinctly male and female with their roles are meant to point to our triune God. If you go back to again verse 26, what did it say? Then God said, let us make man in our own image. Who is the us? Who is the us? First of all, it's not God and the angels. It's actually one of the many scriptures that reveals this mystery of the Godhead and how a part of our being in the image of God is that if we get a chance to reflect to again some degree the plurality that actually exists within the triune God and so just as there's equality and harmonious unity and fellowship with the Father 
the Son and the Holy Spirit who express their unified will and purpose when Adam and Eve, as they were designed, when they operate how they were called to, they get to reflect that relationship as well. And so, yet again, in the Godhead, we need to remember there is distinct roles in the Godhead. It was the Father who sent the Son. It was the Son who would die for our sins. It was the Holy Spirit who would be sent by the Son to be with His people. All the persons in the Godhead, they are equal, yet they have different roles. And so again, that is one way, and that's the one why this matters. Again, another reason this matters is that we get to point even to certain aspects of God's character. And so I just want to be clear about something. God does not have physical features. God is not a male or a female. Does not have the gen he doesn't have a gender. You know, John talks about how oh, God is spirit. He dwells in unapproachable light. Right? But scripture at times uses certain language that represents God's character and how he is. And it is very interesting how he uniquely places it on male and female images. So hear this. So for example, in Isaiah 49, 15, you hear God comparing his compassion to us like that of a nursing mother. Or when you see in Matthew 6, verse 9, a reflection on God's provision and discipline for his children like that of a father. And so again, when you look in scripture, there are myriad of gender-specific language that will be used. to It serves to describe, again, different characteristics of God. Again, God is not male nor female, but when male and female operate in certain ways, they get to reflect certain characteristics of God. So understand, the God-ordained differences between male and female are not a product of sin, nor dictated by human culture. But they are meant to show and point to certain characteristics of God. And here's another thing. It's also meant to point to the gospel. So like in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, the physical union that would occur when a male and female would marry and consummate, it's intended to reflect the relationship of Christ and the church. If you look in your Bibles at Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, we hear a very powerful charge that Paul is going to give. A very powerful one. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And then we see the response even in that passage where wives calling to submit to husbands in a certain way. Again, to reflect the relationship that the church has with Christ. And so when understood properly, the differences in the roles between men and women, 
they are actually very opposed to anything about chauvinism. It's opposed to anything that has any sinful stereotypes or anything that would foster disrespect or abuse to each other. You see, because if well, you understand these things and how it should reflect, we're supposed to be reflecting Christ. We're supposed to be reflecting his sacrificial work. And so honestly, it should lead to both men and women having nothing but honor and respect for each other. And so let's push forward. Let's push forward and address the how. Let's address the how. How we express it. You see, in both the old and new, Scripture points to very specific ways that these distinctions in role and function are to be lived out. And Scripture is very specific about some of that. While there might be some differences in how some faithful believers may apply and live those principles out, the Bible clearly speaks of where that should be. And so the distinct roles come out. First of all, in our expression in both the leadership of the home and in church. Specifically, let me be very specific, that one of the distinctions that the Lord has set is that men would be divinely called to function as heads in the home by being godly husbands. Yeah? And that in the leadership role of the church with the gathered community that elders are reserved to qualified males. I'm going to get back to that phrase. Not any male, but qualified males. And let me start with the first one regarding the home. I'm going to start with that first, not because I believe that's the easiest to address, by no means, but I'm going to address it first because for a series, if you did not hear that, I encourage you to go back to that. Um, but let me summarize some of the points that were made here, and just for application purposes. In the home, in the case of the home, when you look at Ephesians 5 especially, it makes it very clear that the distinction between the roles of husband and wife, they are to reflect Christ and the church. It's one that is marked by the loving sacrifice of the husband, and it is marked by the faithful submission by the wife. Again, look back at that sermon where Joel made it very clear what that leadership should look like and what that submission looks like and what it should not look like on both sides. Again, we have to remember that male and female, they individually show the image of God. But one of the things this truth the complementarian truths that we hold, it gets to reflect something beautiful. We know every married couple here can probably attest to the fact that oftentimes our marriages don't reflect this beautiful truth. And again, the conflicts that arise among us as male and female, they are a consequence of our fallenness. And so unfortunately, instead of the humble leadership that men ought to walk in, they will tend to walk in either being dominant, ruling by force, or ruling by passivity. Just kind of sh shirking off the responsibility. 
And for women, instead of a joyful submission, their temptation will either be to behave like a doormat. Anything you say, sir? Sure. Or, yes, master. Um, or to just reject that leadership. Again, both of those temptations are a poor reflection of what we ought to be doing. Both men and women, again, we can tend to any of those sinful responses in different situations. And that's an interesting thing. And so, in different ways, for example, a man can be very domineering with financial matters. But then very passive about leading his family in terms of devotions or in family time. And so again, these are temptations that we have, but they are things that Christ and the cross has meant to change and to remove some of those sinful distortions that came about because of sin. And so again, one of the other ways, again, our complementary convictions are expressed, I'm going to spend a bit more time here, is within the leadership of the church. Joel again did a lot of work for us when he covered that recently in his sermon, We Are Elder Led. If you didn't listen to that, go back and listen to it. But what we had here is that God has called and gifted certain men to function in a leadership capacity over the flock of God. Again, this is supposed to reflect God. This is to reflect how as elders operate when they recognize that their example is the chief shepherd, that they serve in a certain way, humbly, to the members of the local fellowship, they get to reflect how the chief shepherd is taking care of his flock. And so a very noteworthy passage that kind of gets now into the distinction of some of the roles is in 1 Timothy 2 verse 12. It's a passage that, um, again, different believers have different views on this. But again, there are some things that are very clear. In 1 Timothy 2.12, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. She is to remain quiet. After reading that verse, I know you feel quiet. Yeah? It's one of these hard sayings of the Bible that people like to say. And again, I, I get it. But one of the things that we're hoping to do is that we come face to face with the scriptures, not necessarily with our own ideas, but to come and say, okay, God, what is it that you have to say? And I hope you'd realize that as we do that, you would see that God again is trying to show something beautiful. The boundaries that you see here, they're meant to picture something beautiful. And again, there are many ways that we can distort some of this. But God's intention is that this would be something that will cause a unified goal and mission to be accomplished. You see, what's interesting here, before you think it, you say, boy, Sean, boy, I think this would have a lot to do with culture. 
I think this instruction have a lot to do with how the times was and what happened for women and what happened for men. I get why you'd think that, but the verse in 13 to 15 says this. For Adam, here's a reason. Paul groans this restriction back to Genesis. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet, she'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and with self-control. Again, another verse that can make you feel quiet. But you see, these commands, they are not just Paul's opinion, but they are a divine opinion. They're not temporal they're not cultural. But I just want to say, this has nothing to do with giftings or intelligence of men versus females. I would say even as it relates to giftings, 1 Peter 4 makes it very clear that he has given gifts to the church. He has given a broad range of gifts, spiritual gifts to the church, male and female, that it would glorify him. But as we reflect on what Timothy has to say here, or what Paul says in Timothy, one of the things you realize, you probably want to ask yourself, all right, how does scripture describe this practice of teaching and having authority over a man? What, what, what does Paul have in mind when he mentions that? And another question is, is there any room for women to utilize what I think would be very clear to us, that women have gifts of teaching? That women are gifted as teachers. Women are gifted in leadership ways as well. But are there ways that this can be done in an honoring manner? And so those are the things I'd love to address. And so again, it goes without saying that words have meaning in its context. And so while I won't get to go into, okay, what is the Greek of to teach? And what does didasco mean? And what does um, authene mean? Before we get into any of that, all you can do is just, what, what does Timothy, the book of Timothy, say when it talks about teaching? What we realize is Paul, when he's talking about teaching, he's concerned about few things. He's concerned about the faithful transmission and protection of the gospel that the apostles preach. When he's talking about teaching, he talks about it in a context about, okay, there are certain things I want you to entrust the faithful men who are going to go and do likewise. And then he talks about teaching in a context where he's saying, boy, I want to warn about certain things that false teachers are doing and things that are causing people to go astray. And so it is my conviction and the conviction of the pastors here at Grace Family Church that as it relates to the teaching, Paul doesn't simply have in mind religious instruction. He's not just talking about teaching about in, in a general sense about discussing things of the Bible, but a more official task and a certain responsibility that's given to authoritatively teach God's word, I would say, to preach. You know, as you can see here at Grace Family Church, you would notice it. Um, at the preaching time, there are pastors here that are preaching. And so, this admonition that Paul is giving in 1 Timothy is a, a bones or a fence that 
Paul is saying, all right, a distinction that I want to make is the woman in our fellowship don't pursue the responsibility that's given to the shepherds of the local fellowship. Don't pursue that. That is one of the boundaries given. There's another one where it says, and exercise authority. W what is that talking about? When we're looking at this authority, for sure, there's authority given when you teach God's word, when you preach God's word. But it also speaks to the function that elders would have as it relates to some of the dis disciplinary authority that's given to the local church. You know, 2 Timothy 4.2 kind of expounds in very helpful ways the role that an elder, which by the way is also called a pastor, which is also called a bishop, which is also called an overseer. These are interchangeable words that the scripture uses to describe that function. One of the things it says is that they are to preach the word, they are to reprove, they are to rebuke, they are to exhort with all patience. And they are to teach. And so while the elders' authoritative teaching via preaching is a main way to exercise that authority in the church, there are other ways that it happens. And so to summarize, within the order of the church, women are not to preach or carry out elder-like responsibilities of leadership and oversight to individuals. Again, this seems very hard. And I think what they did on purpose, they gave the pastor who smiles the most to preach this one. I think it was intentional. <laughs> it seems hard. And honestly, because for many of us, our understanding of what it means to be men and women, if we're to be honest, and how that is played out in the home and the church, a lot of that comes down to what we've seen. It has come down to the situations we've probably grown up in. Worse, when you look on Jamaica, again, we have certain realities of our country where, frankly, churches are just filled with more women. And so I, I, can, I can get it. But I, I wonder if we underestimate how we can tend to be driven more by tradition or our own practice than actual theological conviction. You know, as believers, we have a responsibility to just be as faithful as we can to examine what we see in light of Scripture. And so, we your pastors, as we come and share these things, we certainly want to lead you to humbly come face to face with whatever Scripture say. And if it say it, so it go. This is what we want. We want that as you come face to face with some of these hard topics, that really what will happen, you'll, you and I, that we will get an opportunity to see and hear from God. And as we come to appreciate how our creator has purposed certain things, how he has purposed certain things for the, the functioning of the church and how the home should function, is that we will operate in ways where we get to do what God has always wanted to do. He wanted us to reflect a picture. He wanted us to reflect his character. And again, what God says, 
we really need to reach a point where we say, you know what? What he says is good. I mean, this was the, truly one of the problems at the garden. You know. Did God really say? No, man. That's not good. This is good. Again, it's the temptation that we all have. And you know, we've been very careful, by the way, to make this point almost every week, especially in this particular series. We don't require you to fully agree with all of the things that we share in our shared values. To be a member of Grace Family Church, you don't have to all agree with them. We know we're all coming from different backgrounds and different traditions. And some of these issues will take us some time to consider. But these are values that we believe are going to shape us. And it will shape our preaching. It's going to shape our teaching. The different values we share will shape how we counsel you. And how we give counsel in the midst of marriage situations. It's going to inform us. And so... While we certainly believe the convictions that we're sharing today are not only true representations of what we think God is teaching in his word, and by extension, it is going to be good for your health and good for the health of this community, we want to also humbly say that there are certain brothers and sisters in Christ whose convictions and practices are different from ours. And so we're going to humbly say that. This very helpful quote, though, from Whitney Warlord, a gifted teacher, indifferent in her own ways, said this. She says, I believe the word speaks with authority on this issue. And I trust the God who authored it. In fact, I delight in the authority of the word. My husband and the local church. I'm convinced everything God ordains, including various spheres of authority, is the best possible plan for his glory and my good. I'm what you would call a happy complementarian. You know, we hope that at the end of this sermon, and as you come to weigh some of these things, that you too will be happy as you come to understand these things. Again, I just want to say though, but Paul gives much liberty. He does give much liberty to women. If you look at the scripture, you realize that all over, you would see in Acts how he is reasoning in the synagogue and it says the crowd has the prominent and leading woman. In Colossians 3.16, we see general instructions to men and women that they must have the word of God dwelling richly in them so that they can carry out certain tasks among the people of God, which includes teaching and admonishing one another and exhorting one another. We see that in the church, publicly, women are being asked, asking questions. We see that. And so we believe that even as Paul talks about quietness, that he's not saying that women are to be quiet in that way, but it speaks to a posture and a humble position. And so we see people, male and female, gathering together where they are publicly singing hymns, publicly giving instructions from the word, publicly 
giving revelations publicly, speaking in tongues publicly, giving interpretation, both male and female. And so while scripture does exclude women from certain activities involving leadership with men, we do see Paul in his writing encouraging women in many forms as it relates to ministry. I tell people, you think Paul chauvinistic? You think Paul just a fight-out woman? Go read Romans 16. Romans 16, Paul lists a barrage of women that he would call co-laborers. They're my co-workers. They're my hard workers. Women that he saw exercising, speaking, and service gifts for the building of the church and planting of churches. So again, while there are some of these boundaries that the scripture says, I, I want you to realize even how Paul shares it, how countercultural this would have been at the time anyway. You realize Jewish culture, they would typically exclude women from most religious instruction. Yet we see Paul calling the women, we see the scriptures encouraging women to exercise their gifts in vast ways, in ways that are freeing. And so, as pastors, we want to model the same thing with our convictions, where we recognize that there are fences, but we recognize there are freedoms. And that as a local church, that as each one of us serve in the giftings that we have, that it is going to be meant to build us up. And so, as we look at that, I just want to say, again, as it relates to the church, the difference in the genders is not about being chauvinistic. It's not being sexist. Because the truth is, you remember I said qualified men, men who are not functioning as elders, or who are not called to be elders, are called to the exact same submission and deference and a posture of learning as a woman would be, as Timothy points it out. So guess what? If you're not a pastor here and you're not called to be a pastor, you're called to do the same thing that all genders are to do as far as the local church is concerned and the leadership. And so the vast majority of people at Grace Family Church, they're going to be called to that same sort of honor and pay and paying careful attention to the teaching of the pastors here. Most definitely, please test everything against scripture please test it against the word it's not because sean joel or sheldon says so well well right now it's sean alone but go and test the scripture <laughs> and so i just I, just as i close you know wh whether you are a man or a woman this morning I, I want to ask do you have a teaching gift you know, have you seen that God has given you a particular understanding of scripture and ability to articulate it to others? Would you like to use those gifts at Grace Family Church? If so, please speak to us. Speak to us. You know, I, I just want to say there are ways that we just are so grateful for the giftings, especially for the women among us. There's very little that you see happen here that does not have the very presence and the hands of the gifted woman among us. 
we are benefiting from the giftings of women in and outside of our fellowship. You know, one of the things that Joel does as he tries to lead us as a pastoral team, he wants us to benefit from the voices of women as we teach. And so you'd see him actively, not just pointing us to authors, female authors, blogs, seminars, but even getting feedback from the women here. Because we want our preaching and our teaching to have the thought and input of not just men, but women. Because again, it is men and women together that reflect God. So as we uphold these values, we get to picture creation. We get a picture of what God has done in creation and what God is showing through his gospel. That as men and women in their different spheres embody harmonious interpersonal relationship. That as we understand God's design for leadership in the community of faith, and in the home, that he would be glorified as we rightly reflect him. Let's pray. You have just listened to a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.